Turn in your Bibles to 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Heavenly Father, the grass withers, the flower fades and falls to the ground, but your word remains forever. Blessed reading and its application to our hearts and minds, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, John, the apostle, is also the author of third John as he is the author of first the first epistle of John the second epistle of John and the gospel of John as well as the book of Revelation uh, in his um, epistle uh, his uh, gospel in these epistles he is um, he's like a one note wonder you know he just has one thing and he repeats it and he says it over and over again. And that one note that he sounds is love. Love for God. Love for people. And as, how does that love express? It's expressed in keeping God's commandments. And he repeats this and repeats this and repeats this. So if this message sounds similar to the other ones, uh, well, there's a reason for that. You're trying to be faithful to the scriptures. I'm, I'm always, always think about that in terms of how we learn. I, um, I've been pulled off the bench of my coaching career by my wife decided that I should coach kids football this year um, with my collusion with my neighbor. So I'm, I'm going out there in the trenches uh, once again, and it's, uh, and it, it's, it takes a while to dust, uh, dust the playbook off and see what you should do but the one thing that I do know about coaching is this the only way to learn is repetition do the same mundane thing over and over and over again and I think that's the same in music right you do the same thing over and over and over again I think it's true of any discipline as a matter of fact, you do the same things over and over and over again. And there's a reason the scripture repeats things. The, there's a reason the scripture 
pre-teaches, uh, and when, the reason the Apostle John was given the message again, and gives the message to us again and again and again, sometimes in exactly the same way, and sometimes with some theme and variation, is the purpose of the Christian life is to live a life of love. Love for God and love for people expressed in keeping. And how, how do we is and how do we love? We love by keeping his commandments. And just as he addressed uh, the second his second epistle to a particular elect lady that many think is a church. This is no doubt that it's an individual. Could have been uh, an, a, a lady um, that's mentioned in the first and the last uh, verses of uh, Second John. But here, there's no doubt who the address uh, addressee is. It's Gaius, the elder to the beloved Gaius. John, the elder to the beloved Gaius. Who is Gaius to get such a letter? Well, he's more prominent than you think he is. John, uh, the Apostle Paul knew him well. If you go to Acts chapter 19, verse 20, uh, we meet him in Corinth. And, and, uh, um, and, and in Ephesus. I'm sorry, Corinth and in Ephesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's one of those uh, that he, Paul, the Apostle Paul actually remembers baptizing in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians verse 14. And he says, I can't remember if I... This should tell you about the, the uh, eternal significance of that. Baptism is important, don't get me wrong, but in 1 Corinthians 1 14, the Apostle Paul says, I can't remember who I baptized. And oh, by the way, I baptized some guy named Stephanus and Gaius. It's almost like a throwaway. But Gaius is probably that guy. There, I understand from archaeologists that there's a plaque. If you go to Corinth, some of you might have been there. I haven't seen this, but there's a plaque that says uh, next to where they, they uh, did the, uh, the city treasury with Gaius. Maybe he was the city treasurer of, of uh, Corinth. But it was a common name, so it could have been any man guys. We know he's from the town of Derby. We know that from Acts 19, Acts 20, where he's mentioned. He's a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Probably the same guys. Could have been a different person named Gaius, not, not an uncommon name, but probably all these threads taken together. Someone whom the Apostle Paul, uh, Apostle John, rather, loved. He loved him in the truth. Someone he cared for deeply. Someone he wanted uh, to be encouraged in the Lord in the midst of a, a world every bit as full of madness and rebellion against God as the present one we live in. Beloved guys, 
And then we hear the heart of how John prays for him. I pray that all might go well with you, that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. As you can well imagine, this is a verse that the modern prosperity preachers seize upon and hold to in such a way that this is the sum of life. You know, that you, you, if you're a Christian, you should be healthy and you should be prosperous. Well, I hope everyone is. We should pray for health and prosperity for everyone that we know. But it's not primarily physical health. And it's not primary, primarily spiritual health that is in view here. Obviously, it's primarily spiritual health. Because the last part of verse 2 says, and, and connects it to the previous uh, prayers, as it goes well with your soul. He thinks of Gaius as beloved. His prayer is that it might go well with him in every aspect of his life, his physical health, his prosperity, and his spiritual health. Our primary the primary purpose of the Christian life is not to make you rich. The primary purpose of the Christian life is not to make you help. The primary purpose of the Christian life is to save your soul from eternal destruction. There's nothing wrong with having physical health. There's nothing wrong with being prosperous. That's, and it's obvious that John, John includes this in his prayers for Gaius. But the fundamental thing is, how is it with your soul? How is your soul before a holy God? This is the primary issue. The truth of the gospel is that if you are in Christ, if your faith is in Christ, the first chapter of Ephesians teaches us that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And the truth is we are rich beyond measure because of what he has done for us in saving our soul. Our Lord Jesus made this so plain in his earthly ministry. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, he, he, he taught plainly what does what it profit you? What does it profit you if, you if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And then he put it in a different way. He turned it around completely to make, make sure that everyone understood what he meant. What 
Will a man give in exchange for his soul? People are no different than they were in the first century in terms of human nature. Human nature does not change. That's why the Bible is so timeless. The application is exactly the same. And the question before each one of us is what would we, we give in exchange for our soul in this beginning of a school year and working with uh, young, young people again? I, my mind just goes to that. What are, what are we trying to teach? What are, we, what are we trying to impart to our children? Yeah, I want my, I want my little players to be really good little football players. I'm, I can teach them how to be mean, I think. I can provoke them. I, I can put them in the right place. I can put them in a position to succeed. But peewee football, really? <laughs> but, but you may, you put, what, put whatever it is there in that place. Music. Put uh, academics. What is a profit? What, whatever, whatever it is. Wealth. Fame. The, the praise of others. What would you give in exchange for your soul? The answer to Jesus' rhetorical question in Matthew 16, verse 26, should be for each one. There's nothing. Nothing as important as my eternal destiny. There's nothing as important as whether I, I am in the presence of the Lord forever because of what he has done for me by his sovereign grace. That is the greatest prosperity. That is the greatest health, spiritual health. That is the, the greatest uh, spiritual health uh, I could ever know. Our Lord Jesus is the ultimate model. Think of it. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he didn't regard equality with God as a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a man, not merely the form of a man, but the form of a bond slave, the lowest of the low in society. And even beyond that, not only did he take upon the posture of a servant, a bond servant, he took on the posture of a criminal in his death on the cross to give his perfect life in exchange for those who were imperfect, who would believe in him. cares nothing about that. They could care less about spiritual wealth. We live in a world that people could care less. They're just like Pop, Pop, the, um, the uh, Roman governor Pilate. Isn't it amazing that he's in our confession of faith? This little obscure Roman governor who, there was just hundreds of people like him all over the Roman Empire and and yet, here is this, this man who's trying to climb the political ladder in Rome, faced with the Lord Jesus. 
face to face. Wanting to trying him for sedition at the accusation of uh, uh, Lord Jesus' fellow, fellow Jewish citizens. I know this is not my. It, you, are you a king? And he said, "Yeah, you say I'm a king." John 19. But what kind of king are you? I'm, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world. My disciples would be fighting, but my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate goes, well, why do I care about that? Pilate is a worldling. He could care less about a spiritual kingdom. And that's the world we live in. Most of the people could care less about King Jesus and his sovereign reign. Not understanding that his kingdom is overall. This phrase, and it's well with your soul, you know, made famous by Horatio Spafford in his famous hymn. Horatio Spafford uh, began well in Chicago. It didn't finish all that well. You should look him up sometime. But, but uh, I believe, I believe he, he was a devout believer who's, uh, who was in the Chicago fire and put his kids, his wife, and four daughters on a ship. It was ran by another ship and sunk and they were all lost. And, and uh, his wife, except for his wife, she lived and she telegraphed and he, she was saved alone. And all, the, all the daughters perished. It was a horrible thing. And he wrote that hymn that we all love. We sang last Sunday, It Is Well With My Soul. Because at that point in his life, he got it. He got it. He understood. You lose everything in this world. But if you have Christ, you have everything. In the worst circumstances at all. In the midst of the worst kind of persecution. The worst kind of vilification. The worst kind of desertion by those who love you. In, the, in, in, in light of the worst kind of tragedies that might happen in your life. Where everything is taken away from you. If you're in Christ, you have everything. And this is what John prays for Gaius. And he rejoiced greatly when the brothers came to him and testified to the truth of the gospel that was in Gaius. Notice it's the witness to your truth. You know, that's that that phrase jumped out at me because I've heard people say, "Well, that's your truth. That that gospel is your truth. I, you, I want you to listen to my truth." As if there are two different kinds of truth, and that's the that again, that's the world we live in. They can still call it a university, where you know, university is one truth. They still call it, but it's not a university anymore, is it? It's a multiverse, you know, because there are just many versions of the truth, and you got to figure out which ones. Uh, they're competing for each other. No. The university, when it was founded, it was founded as a Christian in, uh, institution where there was just one truth, one God and one truth that pervaded everything, and that is still the truth. And Gaius's truth that John commends him for is the gospel the good news that jesus came 
to die for sinners. Yeah, after service today, we'll, we will, um, uh, one of the great joys of being a minister and elder in the Presbyterian churches is you get to hear testimonies all the time. And the testimonies are all different. And, uh, but, you know, there's just one thing that we want to hear. That you know that you're a sinner and you know that your only hope is Jesus who died for your sins. And whether it's a child who comes at a young age to understand that truth or whether it's someone who is dramatically saved from utter degradation like some of us have been the testimony is the same Jesus came to deal with our sin problem this is the truth that guys walked in It's indeed, it's not only your truth, you're walking. In other words, it's your, you possess it. You have a personal relationship with Jesus and you are walking in it and you are living that truth on a daily basis. You're not merely out on some profession of faith. You have a possession of faith. We live in a, a church, a church time where it is shocking, where people who profess to be Christians who profess uh, who who profess to be ministers even that you wonder and if you're wondering there's a problem if they have any sense of who Jesus is and what he has done John has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. Again, as we saw last, last week and the week before, walking is a metaphor for the whole Christian life. Walking, you're going through life. The great book by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, is about a man on a walk from from uh, the city of destruction to the celestial city to heaven. Uh, really, it's just such a wonderful book and all the different ways that uh, all the things we go through to get to heaven. And that's what we're doing. We're walking away. We're walking away from destruction. We're walking through life to heaven. What a beautiful metaphor. You can, you, can, you can tell that when John writes, I have no greater joy, that he probably has no greater sadness to hear that some of these children are not walking in the truth. If you're a parent and you have a child that's walked away from the truth, you know what I'm talking about. What a heartache that is. What a sorrow it is. He shared with the Apostle Paul, who, who talking about his kinsmen, his fellow Jews, and his fellow relatives, no doubt those who were his very near kinsmen, says, if I could be accursed in their place, I would be. So there's that. But then on the other side is, what a joy. You know, I think as, as a coach, it's so much fun when you're coaching and you see somebody do something good. It's just one, it's one of the best feelings you can ever have. 
That's what, and that's what John's like here. And so I'm sure if you've ever been a teacher, if you've ever been a mentor, and you've taught someone something, imparted something to them, in any any discipline, it's it's a it's a joyous thing. I know it's a joyous thing when we hear the fruit of it, when the when the choir sings and we hear these beautiful parts meshing together. It's a it's a glorious thing, um, and that's true of any discipline. I know it must be true of those in the medical practice. You know, you have the joy of, of, of cutting out a cancer or seeing someone get well. What a blessing. Whatever, whatever your, your th thing in life that you do, you get joy from it. As an apostle, as an elder, John says, I have no, there's nothing I get greater pleasure of in, in my life than to hear that my children, my spiritual children are walking in the truth. And that's what the church should be like. We should have no greater joy than to see one another walking in the truth. No greater joy than to experience that in our as we close, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, this ordinary means of grace that shows forth the most extraordinary thing in the universe that Jesus gave his life for sinners, I would ask you, are you walking in the truth? Is your first thought in the morning, your last thought at night, is the love of God and what he's done for you? Do you demonstrate that by sitting under his word by sitting yourself under it by assembling with others uh, under it uh, by having it in your mind and heart in such a way that so transformed you that you can't help but speak of it spontaneously of his love for you and his forgiveness for you that's the joy that uh, John speaks about to Gaius in this letter and what God speaks to us by this letter to each one. Are you walking in the truth? Are you, are you living and marching to the truth of repentance and faith? Repentance and faith. As you go through this life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for this encouraging epistle to Gaius from the Apostle John. Father, and how it speaks to our need to, to be encouraged in Christ, to walk in the truth. Father, help us not to look down at this world and the things in it to a point of despair. Help us to look up to you and to be of good cheer that even in the midst of a dark and fallen world beset on every side with those who have walked away from you, that we can be encouraged that you have not walked away from us and you who began a work in us will continue it. And you uh, are able, you are exceedingly able to deliver not only us, but all who call upon you in faith from death to life. And we thank you for that joy and the joy of celebrating it together uh, in the word and in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We pray. Uh, for your blessing upon this time, in Jesus' name.
Amen.